She's a professional aromatherapist, and he is an international wellness advocate for the largest essential oil company in the world. But their love for essential oils has brought them together. Welcome to Fellowship in Essential Oils, where Elizabeth Ashley and Adam Barillet discuss essential oils and their gifts for the body, heart, head and spirit. Hello and welcome to this episode of Fellowship in Essential Oils. Today we're talking about essential oil, which I feel I should be really qualified and know a lot to talk about after doing a year in the Middle East. But to be honest, I didn't learn that much about oud in the Middle East. And oud is what works for today, aren't we, Liz? Yeah, and I do really love, so I call it Argonwood. Uh, so it has lots of different names. So you'll see it, for example, in the Bible. It's in it's, uh, is in the um, holy incense, the Ketoret, and it's uh, listed as aloes wood there. Um, and uh, Latin name Aquila siliensis or Aquila macchiensis, depending on what part of the world that it grew in. So there's lots, and there's there's about six other different ones, but those are the main ones that we get um oil from and as you say it is really the center of the middle east very much so but you do notice whenever you're wandering around the middle east everyone's selling oud and what i found really interesting is i was gifted while i was there from a very reliable source a very small you know sample of it and what this smells like the true oud is very very different to the bevy of aromas that are being sold in the shopping centers, in the markets and so on, that everyone's wearing as a fragrance. And that's where it really comes into play with the common person in the Middle East is they love the smell of oud or oud. Yeah. And um, so we, we you don't really see it very much in the UK, but <clears throat> we've got the most fantastic station in Birmingham. And there's a, a like a, um, a cart in there and this beautiful Middle Eastern women all in their lovely finery in their hijab. And they sell oods and <clears throat> really they're a bit like atars aren't they that they are blended with other things um yes. so you can have many different types of oud um, and it's a perfume with that with the agar with the agarwood note in it uh but yeah so oud the agarwood is a um, an oil in its own right and i have the tiniest file here i've actually got four files of this and this this particular one is one of my m most treasured things so i started writing about aromatherapy back in 2009 when I, I had dexter and he was very small and i couldn't go to work and just started and actually interestingly that's almost feels a bit like history repeating itself when i think when i say it out loud but this idea of i'm constricted and there's nowhere i can go so I started learning how into uh, how the internet worked about keywords and stuff, and I did keyword research around uh, essential oils. And at that time, one of the most high, most searched keywords was Argawood essential oil. I was like, how can I never have heard of that? I don't know what that is, but to make this site work, clearly I've got to learn and I've got to go and write about this. So we did a lot of work on it, and then probably about. Seven years after that, one Christmas morning, I got an, an email off a, a, a man saying, you know more about Argawood oil than anyone I've ever come across. And I was like, don't think that's true. But all right, I can see how you would think that on paper. I am uh, manufacturing it. And 
so this was a really interesting journey for me. So let's cut to you because I'm sure that you can tell the story of how an how oud is made. Do you know how it's made? Pretty much. I think it's really exciting. Like Palo Santo, it's, you know, kind of required, you don't just kind of get it from the tree. So from my understanding, these agar wood trees, they will have an injury. Um, it may be a scratch or, you know, like some type of damage. And then um, the resin will come to the surface. Now, that resin will be also a reaction to or it will become infected at that site by bacteria or fungus, and that's where that kind of aroma develops. So unlike something like frankincense where we can get the resin from any tree or sandwood, it has to be this certain kind of sequence of events to actually start to create that aromatic compound which may, which in nature, I believe, only happens in about one of 50 trees. Now, what has started to happen is people have worked out how can they, you know, increase that rate because that makes it a very rare, um, you know, rare opportunity to grab the, the oud from the agar wood trees. Um, but, yeah, fascinating that in that whole um, process of how the tree actually creates the oud, from that yeah, misfortune. So, yeah, so usually it's like a virus or a fungus that forms with it, within it. But actually what you've missed is it dies, the tree dies. So yes. it's it's a like a, a biological sacrifice of the tree to be able to, to get this. So what did Darren, Darren Chong's name, uh, name is, the guy, and what he had done was they had engineered um, – a like a not a virus but like a pathogen out of botanicals which they were injecting into the tree which caused it so what was interesting too was normally it, let me think of an uh, what's a what's a disease that strikes old people mainly like arthritis for example so this is like the arthritis of the tree world that it would normally attack very old trees so it would so the tree would be like sixty years old, and then it would die, and then of course it will take a very very long time for the next tree to grow that long, and of course because it kills the trees and because people want it to do, then this is not only unsustainable but also not economically viable because it just takes too long. Mm. So what's interesting about the um, the, the pathogen that that Darren and his team um, created was it could actually be injected into a tree that was just six years old um, and, so, and so this becomes very much better because you can just like carry on planting loads and loads of trees infecting a few but then those so it's just like cultivating isn't it um and what i should say is perhaps don't get as too excited because it's still very slow progress very slow industry uh growing but so he said to me i want to send you four um versions of the different oil that we make distilled in different ways and i was like are you sure because i really don't think i'm the person to judge on this he said i don't care i do want to anyway when they came there's these four little vials this is the darkest one the other uh three are very very light and he didn't tell me anything about them. He just put a number on them. So I can see that this is number three. And I can, and but I do remember that anyway, because 
I was like, I don't, I just don't know what to say about this at all. So he said, just tune in and tell me what you think. So I said, well, okay. The only thing I can tell you is number three is so much superior to the others. And it's so magical, so shining, sparkling, the difference in this oil. And I just don't know why. So you need to tell me why. And he said, because it's been distilled in a copper alembic and all the others were in steel. So it was really interesting to see that chemistry come to life so i always kept this i keep this in the bathroom and i very rarely use it only to smell it because it just smells so beautiful um but yeah so that so that's all good so in terms of physical properties there are many and yet none which sounds really silly but you can use it for chest infections you can use it for aches and pains you can use it for um skin care all of those things it will work Perhaps the most important one, which is a, is a definite one, is it's very aphrodisiac. It's very masculine fragrance, but all of these healing properties come from the mental and, and emotional aspects of it, which are how soothing it is. Actually, there's quite a lot of uh, clinical research into it, even though if you try and break it down into chemical constituents interesting if you've never worked with it to have a look at tisserand and young and just and go what what i don't know any of those constituents not a single one there's nothing familiar in there at all but yes yeah, it, because it's it's very important in sort of chinese medicine for example um and and just about how it calms and it soothes and it switches the mind right right down and those are the main aspects as well as the spiritual aspects. So we'll talk about that in a minute, but I'll, keep, I'll take a breath. It, it, it's very true that a lot of people, when you, you you know you kind of start to go, what's it good for? It goes straight into meditation, calming, that spiritual pursuits, helping the intuition and all that type of thing. Um, find, finding physical benefits from it can be a little bit challenging. And I wanted to ask you, you know, normally when we have a newer oil, We've talked about this sometimes with native Australian oils when they're discovered. We look at the chemistry and we go, okay, well, that's got similar chemistry to that, so we can kind of link them together and make some summaries. Is there anything similar to oud in the entire aromatherapy kingdom or is it kind of standalone as if black sheep sitting in the corner? I can't see anything similar. The only, the only thing I could say that might be vaguely similar, and I haven't sat and really studied but there is a lot of constituents in there that have like a guyac in the uh, in the. But they're like, you know, I like one eight in the old has that one eight. They're like two five nine guyac something 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 acetate. They're very 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 like specific ones. Mm -hmm. So I think probably if you sat down and studied it, you could kind of marry up some things with guyac wood. I'm guessing but I don't know. There was nothing in there that said to, like, you, there was no, I was expecting maybe limony because it kind of has that kind of um, sharpness, sharp upper note, even though it's a very deep bass note. It has that sharp upper note, but there isn't any as far as I can see. I guess that's something we should just check in with quickly is, you know, many people may not have smelt it before. How would you describe the aroma? Like the smell of the underworld. <laughs> to put it simply, yeah. I'll, I'll try and be a bit more practical. <laughs> so, so what I should say is the different distillations smell different, but this one is very smoky, very deep, balsamic, earthy, 
you can taste it immediately in your mouth. Um, so kind of you can imagine a bit of like chili, sandalwood, myrrh, poppinax, um, those kind of real, love Danum, those kind of real deep, deep notes. It's like that. Mm. I didn't say you commented before we started recording today on, on the leather chair I'm sitting in. It's a very old leather chair. Very, it, le yes, leathery is a good thing. That kind of yeah. feeling about it, for sure. And like tobacco. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I yeah. think, you know, oh, go on. No, go, go. I was going to say, when it comes to the the practical uses of it, I don't think, again, because it is such a rare oil, we talked about this when we um, discussed spikenard. Yes, it's great, but, you know, it needs to be used maybe for special occasions, the same with Palo Santo. And this one I feel would be one that you're not going to use every day. You might use it for helping to calm down, um, helping to, you know, tune into finding your own innate answers when you're feeling a little bit perplexed about something. I think I'd reach for this one when I really feel that I'm at a crossroads and I'm not sure what to do and to really kind of go, okay, let's sit in, let's trust that I have the ability to find those answers. And if you're feeling a bit frazzled or stressed or uneasy about which way to go, and this is a big decision, that's not like what should we have for dinner tonight, but, you know, should I leave my job, should I stay, should I stay in this relationship or not, those type of things, this might be a good one just to kind of ground you in that kind of confidence that you had that inner knowing and then to be able to tune into that. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that before I go on to the spiritual aspect, I would say that I think I absolutely agree with what you're saying, that it's a sacred oil and you don't use it too often. A, a, a situation that I would consider using it in is men's sexuality. Um, so the slowing aspect for um, premature ejaculation, but also for those who have lost libido or who have erectile dysfunction and now paralysed by the fear of the embarrassment of all of that stuff, this really taps into that. And it is a men's smell, you know, there's mm. nothing female about it. So from using it, oh, look at that. It just so happens I have concealed about my person. I don't know how that ended up there. Uh, but I've got a little aroma pendant. And so, and what's nice about this one is it's not it's not too feminine and you can get masculine ones. And just wear like one drop on a necklace around that, I think really makes a big difference to men's sexuality. But moving from that, in terms of spirituality, I think, well, so as you talked about your chair. I'll talk about my altar behind me. So. Um, I think lots of people are celebrating Imolg at the moment. Um, so they've been making their uh, um, altars to, to Bridget. Um, I don't follow the, the Celtic um, pantheon. So actually, we don't have a, a celebration till around about 19th of Ansterion, which is February, which starts at February moon moon. So it's around about... 25th 24th 25th of february but i'll put my altar up already so um in the hellenistic world in the ancient greek world the one of a really big festival for everybody was the anthesteria which was um dedicated to dionysus it was a, a celebration of the time of the dead but it was also 
the time when Persephone returned, so spring returned. The goddess of the underworld came back from the underworld up into um, the world. And so beautiful, you know, when you read the, the accounts of them, the, 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 the stories of the flowers are just beautiful. Flowers everywhere, you know, wreaths of flowers. Um, also, it was a three-day festival and they had a, a like, coes. First coes was the opening of the wine. So remember, it was a, a Dionysus festival. So the opening of the New Year's wine. And then first coes was the kids of around about 11 got to try their first wine. And that was a ceremonial thing. So you've got this beautiful festival, but it's actually a festival for the dead, which is very odd. It's almost hot. It's very difficult to be able to uh, line up in your mind. And I found it really useful to contemplate for me at the moment because I am living a very liminal existence at the moment. My husband has been very ill. And we are waiting the next set of treatment. Neither of us can go to work. Our, our lives are in stasis. So as a bee priestess, it's interesting to, to tie that into the idea that if I were a bee at the moment, I would be in a chrysalis. And there would be, well, we call it a cocoon, actually. Um, no movement. No movement at all. Just metamorphosis. And this is very similar to the idea of the um, of the beginning of of Imog that the now the ground is stirring. You can't see anything. It doesn't look like anything's happening at all. But everything is happening, you know. And so this idea that something has died in our lives definitely has died, but something new will rise from it. And this idea of the death mysteries is very much a, an, an Argawood um, thing. And, and bear in mind that it comes from a, bed, a dead tree, like Paolo Santo is a death mysteries um, um, oil. So I'm not, I'm not a, a soul midwife, but I'm imagining that this would be an oil that would be very useful to help people let go, you know, at the end of, you know, of, of to be peaceful and just let things go. And this idea that, Trying to, to, in like, I'm not in a death situation, I'm glad to say at the moment, but um, this idea of stop trying to control. You can't control. You're inside the cocoon. You cannot. You just have to go through this. And that is really helpful medicine in that situation. It really speaks to that of the, this is a sacrificial time. You can't do anything else. You just have to go through it. And it, I think it's a, an, an interesting phenomena. The, the closest kind of ritual that you would have in the Catholic um, or the Christian calendar is Easter. That's that's death and spring at the same time, isn't it? But in the Christian, in the church's way of thinking, we are born, we uh, live, we die, we go to heaven. There is no cycle. So, but if, if compare that to the ancient ways of thinking of rebirth, reincarnation, resurrection, this idea of a continual circle. This sits in the gap between death and rebirth. Now, in the Catholic Church, like I say, we don't have that imagination, but um, that is what it is. It's between death and rebirth. 
So would you say uh, Oud would be a really great one for helping and supporting people if they are, you know, either themselves or helping someone they care about through an actual physical death, but also just the death of anything in our life? Like you said at the moment, you were kind of in that stasis when that, there is that holding period, that contemplative period, and just to feel okay with that. Yeah, and 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 I think the word, I think you use the words exactly right there. I wouldn't even say a contemplative period. I would say the contemplation, because these kind of periods tend to be for me at the moment. The challenge is not having anything to do. You know, like I can't go to work, so the busyness. As it as, uh, rather than business, the busyness, the busy bee, for example, they're all they're all hiding away. The busyness has gone. What takes the place of the busyness? What what exists within the darkness? What exists within the silence? Mm-hmm. Now we have in a previous episode talked about um, Chiron and our Chiron sign and the wounds that Chiron. Where Chiron is at the moment you're born and where it appears in your birth chart will give you an indication of a core wound, something that may have happened or you may have been a little bit more sensitive to when you're a child, and that can kind of play out in your life. And when we uh, did our Heliochrysum episode, I talked about Heliochrysum being a really great oil for helping to kind of heal that wound, help that, because it is a master healer oil. Now, Oud, I feel, kind of comes in after Heliochrysum's process because if we look at what the agar wood tree is doing, the tree is injured, it's infected, and from that, yes, it dies, but from that death and allowing that to happen, something good comes. Now, we all have tragedies, challenges, and wounds that happen to us on all different levels. Now, we can either choose to just allow that to drag us down and drain the life force out of us and the will to go on, or we can take that lesson and go, how do I actually turn that into something positive? And I think that's where that contemplative aspect of Oud can be really powerful in helping us to heal our Chiron wound or any wound in particular and go, instead of taking the suffering of the past into my present and into my future, how can I take the learnings and the lessons and the wisdom to use that and apply that to my life right now and in the future? And also, how can I use that to help other people and support other people and maybe lighten their load as well. So I think Oud works really well for those that are into their astrology. When Chiron goes into retrograde, when those past wounds resurface, it's a great oil for supporting you in going, right, instead of being a victim of my suffering, I'm going to be a master of my suffering and take it forward as an advantage. Yeah, I like that. And so I just like, there's a, a play on words that when I was writing my book about the Melissa priestesses, another priestess, not a Melissa, actually, a different kind of priestess, did the proof reading. And she was like, I do not like the word mastery in your book. And I was like, that's pedantic. And she said, because master speaks to mastery speaks to master. Yeah. And I was like, OK, so. I had to sit with that for quite a long time to think, well, I can't just take one word out and change it because there isn't another word that means any difference. So actually the whole chapter had to be rewritten to be able to incorporate this change of of word. And it was interesting 
that during that contemplation, I realized that the the female version of mastery is mystery, and yeah. this and this idea that we're not categorizing things, and actually, perhaps we're doing the wrong thing. Perhaps even trying to explain things because mastery is about delineating, categorizing, qualifying, quantifying, whereas mystery is about exploring, and personal mystery, personal um epiphanies um this i these deep understandings that you can't really explain you can't quantify but you know to be true it's it's gnosis you know um and those kind of explorations are well yeah they sit in that kind of in unquantifiable liminal space so that that which is other so i've forgotten completely what my point was but I agree with, yes, no, so I do know what you're talking about. So you were talking about how it comes after the helichrism journey. I think that it's almost like the gateway through to the next step, if that makes sense, where we have that time of just sitting and going, well, how did this change me? What what difference has this made to me? What did I shed? And I absolutely hate that word. You, know, we, 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 you watch videos about um, like priestess work and, and they'll sort of talk about, oh, it's the shedding of the, you know, we've shed all of these different layers. But I think with this, what what died and what, when that, that we all have times in our lives and things in our lives that we outgrow, they do die and they no longer serve us. And it's incredibly hard to let go of them. I play out several things that like, and I can look at it objectively and go, if you were watching somebody else do that, you'd be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're 20 years down the line and you're still doing it, still doing it. But so these kinds of contemplations, so what is it that is stopping me letting go? And again, another word that I absolutely hate, surrender, by that idea of, right, okay, I am just going to fall back. And stop trying to control this situation. And just, I, I, if I'm not that thing already, I'm not the butterfly, I'm not the bee. I, I don't really know what I'm, I'm just going to submit to this and see what happens. And I have to say, for now, <clears throat> that process has really helped me to do that, to really contemplate this idea of, like, death and the new are, are the same thing. Um and that that's helpful for that. And I'm not sure that it has like a day-to-day. -day, I don't think it has a day-to-day -day application. It's for those times that you just don't want to be happening, really. Yeah. And just like I guess we have different people in our lives that we deal with every day, but then there are special people that we may need occasionally or there are specialist roles that you're like, I once went to a respiratory physiotherapist. I'm like, why on earth is someone specialising on physiotherapy for the respiratory system? But... You know, not that oud is anything like that, but it, it's a specialist oil. And you're going to find just like, you know, lavender and eucalyptus and summer oils are available all the time. Just as like, like in the crystal realm, you've got amethyst and rose quartz that everyone has. There's these rarer oils, there's these rarer crystals that we're not going to use every day, but they stand there waiting for their special purpose, don't they? Yeah, and I, and I think also... <clears throat> As we go through the life cycle, we become new things and new things happen around us. So 
if this oil is to do with death, and it most definitely is to do with death, and actually, if it's to do with sexual dysfunction, and it is to do with se sexual dysfunction, it, it belongs to a later part of life. Yes. It, it's and so you know. I used to I used to have a, a friend and they, he used to say, oh, go, go and see my mother and see who's died today. You know, it was just like, and because you do get, as you get older, that is the thing, isn't it? Oh, have you heard from such and such? Oh, yeah, did you know that such and such had died? So death becomes closer as you get older. Mm. Um, mm. So, so again, and it, it, this is like a crone oil, really. Yeah. I don't think I can think of an application. Is there an application where you think it would be relevant for children? Well, it is good for bronchitis and there would be nothing to contraindicate. So it would be better, for example, than um, than eucalyptus for a child. But I, I, it's a bit like saying I'll put jasmine on a child. Well, you're putting sex on a child. That's odd. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Energetically, it's not a good, uh, it's not a good mix. Yeah, very much. Now, you just said it has a crone energy about it, and you're talking about mastery versus mystery, and I've never heard that comparison before, so I'm fascinated with that. But w would you say this oil helps you with mastery or does it help you with embracing mystery? Mystery. Ah, okay. I'm going to disagree with you. I think it actually can help with mastery and understanding and comprehending those spots. It will make you feel comfortable in that, but actually come to terms and, and bring that masculine logic into it that go. Okay, I'm comfortable sitting here and I get it. I, I think it helps you to get it, if that makes sense. Yeah, but that is mystery work. Oh, yes. Yeah. I guess that, is, a, that is exactly what mystery work is. That you know, that, or that you move into that somatic space where you're going, oh, I'm not, oh, my body just got it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, so, like, for example, um, well, I was going to say long division, but long division is a really bad example because I've never got long division. <laughs> Uh, um, the blues, the blues. So, so blues music. So you can learn about blues music on paper, and you can go right. I understand it's got it's twelve bars. It's got specific harmonies. So certain chords, one, four, one, five. Yes. So that's what makes up blues. I understand that it's got. Um, you know, the, the bend the notes and flattened notes in the major scale, all of that stuff, you can remember that stuff. But it's only when you kind of sit down and really listen to the lyrics and feel what the, the singer's singing about, you go, oh, oh, that's what this is. You know, it's a certain, you know, oh, right, so I'm really tapping into the <coughs> spiritual Negro, the, the Negro spirituals. And the, the slavery trade and all of that's and it's you, you, your body changes. You go, oh, I'm getting it now. That's what mystery mm. work is. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So when it comes to the chakras, you know, a lot of people will talk about you know references to the third eye chakra. I would I would put it in the third eye chakra because what I love about the third eye chakra is obviously each energy center is the bridge between the others. So what you have here is you have your crown chakra, which is your connection to spirit. And as it comes into the third eye chakra, what it's doing is it's helping you to work out how do I apply my spiritual knowledge into the practical? So we've been talking about that dance between maybe the mysteries and the crown chakra, connecting with that, those spiritual other realms. But then coming into the third eye chakra is how do I use my intuition and my intellect to understand and comprehend it? 
So I would definitely pit Ood as being a third eye chakra essential oil. How about yourself? Yes, but between earth, earth star chakra and root chakra, I would say. Yeah, because of its such grounding nature as well. Yes, and because it has this Plutonian aspect. So on the, for example, on the on the altar, I've got I've got Demeter, and she's sitting at the gates of hell, waiting for her to emerge. Yeah, and this waiting game is Plutonian, and and it's chthonic. You know, it's about underworld, underground, going into the darkness. Um, so yes, definitely for the idea of like scrying and you know psychopunk work and stuff is third eye, but also like root chakra. You know, you can't do that kind of work without grounding yourself, protecting yourself, setting your boundaries. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I'm obviously going to attribute food to uh, Chiron. You're going to attribute it to Pluto? Yeah, Pluto. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Well, I think it is a... I don't think it's an oil everyone needs to rush out and buy straight away, but hopefully we've been able to give some insight if people do have it in their collection, possibly what what and when to reach for it, or if something we've said today may resonate with them, they're like, oh, that's the oil I'm looking for for that instance as well. But it, it's valuable to have sitting in the corner, probably next to your spike mount and your Palo Santo for those special occasions in life when we need to bring out the, the, the first aid spiritual um, emergency kit. Yeah, I mean, so I was just thinking about sort of everyday applications. I did think of one actually, so which is a bit more prosaic than than we're talking about almost like religious significance, aren't we? We're, we're the ones we've been talking about. So I can remember, she'll probably kill me for saying this, but I remember when Amy got into the ambulance service and it was prerequisite that she could drive. So she got her job offer and then she got everything sorted out. You know, my daughter's always controlling everything in the universe. She's always got 20 million balls in the air. And all she got to do was pass this driving test and somebody cut up in front of her in the last, like, two minutes of a test and so that was it. And so it was like, oh, what do we do now? That's the job offer. You know, she can't go and do the, she can't go and do a study. In, <coughs> excuse me. So she had to get a retest. And that week was the longest week of my life, you know, because she was so frenetic. She was like, she went into a really dark place because we can all do that in our house, like really spin out of all the, well, we're never going to be able to do the job. We've I've studied for all these lives. So that it was like 17 years long that week. And so those kind of situations that are liminal where you are neither one thing or the other, it's really helpful to just kind of go, just stop, stop, stop trying to control it. Just be, just be in here and allow this to happen around you. I guess maybe it might be a good oil for those periods of life where you, there, there is nothing to do but wait. Yeah, and that's, thank you. You may be, that's exactly right. That is, you worded it, that's what I've been trying to say, yes. And, and, and I might share a bit of a story, and I'm kind of this is a bit of a fourth-hand story that I'm passing on. I learned it when from a Buddhist monk um, that was teaching here in Western Australia, um, and he was relaying a story that he learned from a um, English soldier in the Vietnam War, 
So what they were doing is they were going through the Vietnam forest and some of the scouts came back and said, um, you're surrounded from all sides by the enemy. There's, you know, there's no no escape right now. You're in trouble. Um, and so they looked to their sergeant and he said, you know, they're looking for direction. He said, we're going to have a cup of tea. And they all kind of looked at each other and thought, we know we're English, but it's now the right time to have a cup of tea. But obeying orders, they sat down very quietly, you know, brewed some water and had their tea and kind of sipped their tea, wondering if this is going to be the last tea that they ever had. And as they were just kind of finishing their tea and starting to tidy everything up, one of the scouts came back and said, I found a way out. And so the kind of the moral of the story is sometimes when we don't know what to do, the best thing to do is stop, do nothing, and have a cup of tea. And yeah. in that case, that could be where Ood is a really good one of like when you don't know what's going to happen and you are in that waiting period, that limbo period, this could be a really good oil to help you feel comfortable in that, that no, there is a process, things are moving, but like Imolk, everything's happening under the ground and the germination of the plant is not going to be happening for a little while yet. You know it will happen, but you don't know how. You don't know when exactly, so feel comfortable in that limbo. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. So a really beautiful oil. I, I'm, I'm glad we got to dive into it, and we will be diving into it a little bit more next week because that is when we have our next masterclass in time for Valentine's Day. You know, we're going to talk about all things love, sex, and soulmates. Now, obviously, Liz, people may have sexual performance, sexual, you know, things like impotence and uh, issues like that would be a sensitive one. And there may be people that are watching, uh, men or women, that are like, oh, actually maybe an aromatherapist could help me with that, but they're a little bit nervous about, you know, asking that. People can join in. They can register for the um, masterclass. They can pre-submit their questions. Um, and if it's a sensitive question, I'm not going to go, James from Manchester has asked us, you know, we want to say we had a question from someone or, you know, we can keep it very bland. And um, people can ask those questions that they may not know where they could actually go with that in that masterclass, can't they? Yeah, definitely. And, I, I mean, he's the most sensitive of, of issues, isn't it? Um, and likewise, you might, for example, want to ask about somebody else. Maybe your partner is, is suffering from issues and be worried about them going, uh, beg your pardon, why have you talked about that to the people? Um, so, yeah, by all means, message us beforehand and uh, we will we will speak to the issue without mentioning your name. Exactly. And, of course, if you can't make it, if you're looking at the time, you're going, oh, that's not my right time zone or I'm at work or something like that, everyone who registers gets the replay. Um, it's a secret YouTube link that you can watch forevermore. So you can watch it next week and, again, two years later if you need to and that type of thing as well. So the links are down below, whether you're listening to us on a podcast or if you're watching us here on YouTube right now, then, you know, we've got the links there and we've also got the discount code. So make sure you get into that. Um, if you want to ask a question outside of the theme, we go off on tangents the whole blooming time, don't we, Liz? <laughs> Me in a tangent. <laughs> We're very intimately related, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we will see you at the masterclass and we will see you next week. We've got we've got a whole new theme and we'll let you know a little bit about that next week. But I want you to think about which part of the plant gives us the most essential oil. So we get essential oils from all different parts of plants. 
there seems to be one part where a lot of oils come from around the world. We're going to kind of dive into a few of those different essential oils over the next month or so. So we will see you next week. We will see you at the masterclass. And until then, get your oud out and be happy to wait for the masterclass for next week. We'll see you then. Take care. Bye-bye.